This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey, I'm so excited you're here. If we haven't met yet, my name is Kevin, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guide us through the rest of our journey together this morning. I want to say, if you missed last week, last week was a really powerful week, and I had more Facebook responses and comments to last week's message than I've ever had. So if you missed it, here it is in the snapshot. We were talking about eternity, about, about what happens to us five minutes after we die, and when you take that last breath, when you blink for that last time, what happens when you wake up? And I couldn't believe it. I got home that afternoon, and Facebook had experienced exploded about the message. You know what they were talking about? About how I was wrong and you need to leave the shower window open when you take a shower. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, by the way. Thank you for that wonderful corrective. And Maria, you are right. Not the first time, won't be the last time. I am the opposite of right. And you, you were right. Yeah. Way to go. Really happy for you. Uh, We all are. We all are. We really. Uh, If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you can go to newlifepetaluma.org. You can listen to all of our past messages by clicking on the podcast uh, button. But uh, that was that was fun. It was it was fun, and I love being part of a church where we don't take ourselves too seriously. You know, we we take God seriously, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. Um, hey, you're going to want to grab a few things out of your program. One would be your teaching notes because they'll tell you where we're going today, and two would be the start here card. You never know if I'm going to say something that you're going to want to to talk about on Facebook. So you might as well just get this ready. Get this ready now. Um, when I was a kid, I, I shared, shared a lot of these stories with you, and you're, you're kind of probably sensing a theme here. Uh, I got in a fair amount of trouble as a child, and, and it wasn't because I was worse than everybody else. I want to clarify that right now. Uh, it was because I believe I'm a twin. And so here's what would happen. A group of us would go out and we'd do something, you know, silly. Some would say dumb. Some would say borderline vandalism. And here's, we would get caught and they would say something like this to the authorities or the principal or my parents. Well, there were a group of people and the Finkbeiner twins, you know, because when there's two of you, you just stand out. So I always got in trouble. And here's how this generally started. We would get together, my friends and I, on a Friday night. And, and I remember one particular Friday night, it was the welcome back school dance. It was either my junior year or senior year. And, uh, and my friend said, hey, you want to go to this welcome back dance? And we said, well, I don't know. You know, it, it could be fun. We've been there. We've done that. But uh, here's what will make this very exciting. My friends were deciding. It could have been me who said this. I can't really remember. What if, because our, our dance was at our school gym, and so you had the gym, and when you walked through the gym, there was kind of a fenced-in open area to kind of hang out and talk. Beyond that, there was a chain-link fence with our school pool right there, and, and two cement walls on either side and the back. And they said, what if, this would be really fun, what if uh, we went to Walmart and got huge frozen fish, um, and then we took them, and we threw them into the school pool during the dance, so that when people came out to talk, they would look up, and there would be these frozen fish staring at them. And I thought to myself, what an excellent idea. That, that seems like a great plan. So they said, Finkbeiner, here's your job. You go through, you walk through the dance, and you stand on the back, and you, you're our lookout on the chain link fence, because the administration would do uh, walkthroughs to make sure nobody was, you know, smooching or whatever. So, or <laughs> that we were there. No one wanted to make sure that we... So... So I walk into the school dance, and it is like your school dances were, because our high schools are similar. You've got the, you know, the kids who can dance, and they're, you know, doing, they're, they're dancing, something like that. So maybe, I, I can't really remember, something like, and then there's the, there's the, the cool kids and, and the kids who are just terrified to dance over here, you know. Um, and then there's the jocks who are, you know, doing the white man's overbite and the fist bump. <laughs> so I just walk right through, minding my own business, get to the fence, 
stand with my back against the fence, and whenever the teachers would come and circle through, I would give a little sign, like, whippoorwill, whippoorwill, you know. And we're talking a big frozen, into the water. We had like 15 frozen fish in the water. It was fantastic. So you, and they're all different heights, because they're all different levels of frozen, you know, so they're thawing out, and they're looking at you. And then my buddy walks uh, around, and he, he sticks a frozen fish in his jacket, and, uh, and he walks into the dance, and, and he decides it'd be really funny. The pool was fun. That was fun. But what if we threw a few frozen fish onto the dance floor? That would probably be more fun. So he has a couple of them in his pocket like this, and he's walking in very relaxed, very casual. And he throws the frozen fish onto the dance floor, and we're all, you know, mm, we're all dancing like that. That's, that's, that's how I dance. And, um, and, and all of a sudden, the fish and everyone parts ways, and, and the principal comes to me, and this happened on a regular basis. He said to me, uh, Mr. Finkbeiner, I can't prove it, but I'm pretty sure you and your friends put some frozen fish here. Uh, you can either leave the dance immediately or get suspended, to which I always responded, thank you, Mr. Pletko. It's been wonderful seeing you. And I walked out. I was only suspended once in high school, but that threat happened to me many, many times, many, many times. And Mr. Finkbeiner, I can't prove it. I said, I know you can't. Whether it was, you know, breaking into the weight room to play cards uh, or doing a victory lap around the track in my buddy's Bronco. They can never prove it. Mr. Finkbeiner, you need to leave or get suspended. And the common theme in all of this was I never did it alone. I never—I always did it with other people. And I want you to think back with me to some of the worst decisions you've ever made. I could say the best decisions, but let's be honest. We don't remember those as much as the bad ones. I mean the really, really bad ones. Think back to the worst decisions you ever made. And I would venture to guess that the majority of the worst decisions that you've ever made either happened with or because of other people. Because we don't ever do it ourselves. With or because of other people. We're starting a brand new series today that we're calling Friending. And friending is, is all about what, what God, his vision, his, his idea, his plan is for friends and friendships. Why do we want them? Why, why would we need them? What keeps us from actually wanting to engage in them? Uh, what's it take to be a good one? Uh, what would I look for if I was trying to find one? Why do I seem to have a lot of, of friendly relationships but no actual friendships? And we're going to spend weeks and weeks on this topic because the more that I've, I've prayed, the more that I've studied the Bible, the more that I've listened to really, really good sermons from other pastors around the country on this topic, and the more I've looked at my own life and my own shortcomings, the more I've realized this, that the friends that we choose are possibly the greatest single factor in determining the impact and trajectory of our lives. The friends that we choose are probably the single greatest factor here on this earth in determining the impact and the trajectory, the direction of our lives. So imagine two couples, they get married on the same day, uh, and it's their first year of marriage. Maybe it's their first couple months, and whatever day it is, it's the same day for these two couples, and they get into a huge fight. Not a marriage-ending fight necessarily, but it's a, it's a big one. It's a blower. There's yelling, there's screaming, there's, I, I, you know, if I knew this about you before we got married, or I, I, didn't, I didn't marry this type of person, you know, it's one of those fights. I know you never had one of those because we're in church, and, you know, we got to polish it up. But, but just go with me here for a second. And let's assume it's his fault, because let's just assume it's his fault. I'll just go back to my marriage, my first year. So both women, on the same night, they go off crying. And they're heartbroken. They're, they're just torn up inside. And they go to their two respective groups of friends. 
And both groups of friends start out the, sto- the, the conversation like this. I'm so sorry. But that's where these two groups of friends take drastic turns. The first group of friends says this. I'm so sorry that happened. What can I do to help? I know you guys love each other. And I know this feels like the end of the world, but it's not. You'll work through it. These things happen. How can I pray for you? What can I do to help you work it out? I'm so sorry that happened. I love you. He loves you. It's going to be okay. What can we do to work it out? That's what one group of friends says. The second group of friends starts the same way. I'm so sorry. But then they say, I'm so sorry you married that jerk. I knew you were too good for him. I told you you never should have married him. Uh, he, he always does this. You should have known better. You shouldn't have done it. You could have done better. Let's forget about him for tonight. Let's go out to the club and have a girl's night and just go dancing. We'll deal with this another time. Now, I want to ask you a question. Which one of those two marriages has a better chance in succeeding? The the one with the first group of friends. Because the friendships that we choose are possibly the greatest single factor in this world in determining the impact and the trajectory of our lives. And I think this series could be life-changing, could be marriage-shaping, could be finance-fixing, could be parenting-correcting, could be uh, vocation-realizing and dream-experiencing. This series on friendship could change everything for some of us in this room because the friends that we choose have possibly the greatest single impact in shaping the trajectory of our lives. It's such a big deal that Believe it or not, this has been one of the major themes of the Bible from the beginning to the end. In the Old Testament, there's a a man named Solomon, and Solomon was loved by God, and Solomon was a king, and, and God said to Solomon, Solomon, I'll give you anything you want because I love you. Solomon said, I want, I want wisdom. So the Bible tells us that God made Solomon the wisest man who has ever lived. And uh, Solomon talks a lot about friendship. He wrote a couple different books. One of them is the book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs, he tells us, this is how, how you can get the most out of life. This is how you can have uh, the best possible life for you. If, you. if you do these things, then generally speaking, you will experience the life God has for you. And Solomon says this in Proverbs 13. He says, if you walk with the wise, you will become wise. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. He says, I want to ask you, do you want to be successful in life? Do you want to have success in your marriage, in your finances, in your, in your parenting? Do you want your dreams to be realized and, and become a reality? Do you want to break through some sort of addictive pattern that has trapped you and stifled you and you've been stuck in for so long? Do you want, do you want to get the most out of life? Solomon says, walk with the wise, and you will become wise. And I would say this in my own life, and I would guess it's true for your life too. We can look at almost any area of success in our life. And we'll see that in that area of success, we're partnered with people who are wise, who are walking with us, who are helping us make the right decisions, who are influencing us in the right direction. If you have a really good marriage, what do you say about your marriage partner? You say something like this, he or she makes me a better person. Why? Because I'm walking with the wise and I'm becoming wise. This series is actually 
uh, me doing that. I, I wanted to talk about friendship, so I was diving into what does friendship look like and studying the Bible, and I came across a teaching series um, by a really, really famous pastor. And, and the great thing about this pastor is he just gives everything away. And I listened to the series, and I thought, that's, that's it. This guy is so wise about friendship. I want to I beg, borrow, and steal anything I can from him. I'm going to pull my own stuff in, but I, I'm learning from the wisdom of somebody else. Solomon says, walk with the wise, and you will become wise. But then he gives the opposite. He says, but a companion of fools suffers harm. If we were going to translate that today, we'd say something like this. If you hang out with a bunch of idiots, eventually you're going to become an idiot. That's the new Kevin translation. NKT. Walk with idiots, eventually you're going to become an idiot. And we intuitively know that's true. Parents, you know that. That's why if you're, if you're an intentional parent, you look at your kids' friends. Because you know if they're walking with good kids, if they're walking with the wise, they'll become wise. If they're walking with idiots, eventually they're going to do something idiotic. See, something happens, though, when we become adults, and we, we forget that truth. We, we knew it as kids, and we know it for our kids. But when we become adults, we, we tend to forget it. But it's so true. If we walk with the wise, we will become wise. But if we, if we spend all our time with idiots, we're going to become idiots. A companion of fools suffers harm. Here's what I want to do for just a few minutes to kind of help us get this series ready. This is kind of a primer for where we're going for the next number of weeks. I want you to think of, uh, and I put some space on your notes for this, I want you to think of your closest friends. And before you write down, I'm not talking about your family. Th- those are great. That's great. But not family. Um, I'm talking about your, your closest friends, the ones you can call at 2 a.m. When, when an earthquake happens, okay, for example. Um, the ones that you can be totally open with, the ones that you can share everything, that you can just bury your heart. Write down your closest friends. I gave you five spots, but, but don't, don't stress out. If you have more than that, just keep on writing. If you have less, just write down what you've got. But take a minute and write down your, your closest friends on a piece of paper for me. When you've got him, you can just kind of look back up here. Sociologists tell us that in almost every area of our life, you and I are the average of our five closest friends. We're somewhere right in the middle of our five closest friends. So financially, if you look at your, your friends on your list, financially, you're probably right in the middle of your five closest friends. Morally, you probably got a few who you look up to and a few who look up to you. You're right in the middle of your five closest friends. Your marriage, sociologists would say, is probably right in the middle of your five closest friends. The question becomes, who am I hanging out with? If I really am the average of my five closest friends, who am I hanging out with? And here's the key thought that we're actually going to run through this entire series. I said this to you last week. I believe that if you show me your friends, I can show you your future. Show me your friends and I can show you your future because you are the average in almost every area of your life of your five closest friends. More often than not, we're somewhere kind of right in the middle. But here's the thing that sociologists are saying about friendship today. They're saying that now more than ever, few of us actually have close friendships. They're saying that on average, Americans have two close friends. Which, 
probably seems normal to you. You probably wrote down somewhere between two or three close friends on your list if you're in the average. But compare that to 25 years ago. 25 years ago, the average American had six close friends. That means we've dropped by two-thirds in 25 years. That's an alarming rate. 25% of Americans who were surveyed recently said that they don't have a single close and trusted friend. As I look at that, I just realize there's something desperately wrong with that picture. That can't be the way God created us. He says, walk with the wise and become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. And we're saying, I don't have, I don't have anybody. Most people are saying, I would just take, man, I'd take a fool if I could just have a friend, but I don't even have a friend. I believe God wants more for us than that. And so I just want to talk today about three reasons why I think friendships have been declining over the past 25 years. These aren't excuses. These are just reasons. And I just want us to kind of open our mind up to this friendship topic because we're going to really be digging into this for a while. But I think some of the top reasons why friendships are declining are this. Increased work hours are leaving us exhausted. We're just exhausted. Americans work long, hard hours. We're tired. We're relationally worn out. If, you, if you're in a job where you have to deal with people, we get to the end of the day and we say, I've dealt with people all day. I don't want to deal with anybody today. And that translates into our marriage with our kids and especially with our friends. And then the other one about jobs is this. Our jobs are relocating us a lot. I, I think I, I heard this recently, and don't quote me. You can Facebook check me. Um, I think the average American changes jobs like every four years. And so our jobs are not only changing, but they're relocating us. And so we can't actually form friendships at work. We can't form friendships outside of work. Jobs are, are part of the reason why I think friendships are declining. Another reason I think friendships are declining is that rising divorce rates are forcing our friends to choose. And we all know that divorce is painful. It's hard on the couple. It's hard on the kids. But I want to I propose something. I think it's actually hard on the friends because everything gets separated. Everything gets split in the divorce the money, the time with the kids, the house, and the friends. They're forced to choose. Who am I going to go with? And then the third one, and this is the one we're going to kind of press into for a while. Uh, I think that social media is redefining how we view friends. Here's what I mean by that. Even 10 years ago, you and I would never have thought about calling up our friends in the morning and saying, guess what I'm eating for breakfast this morning. I'm, I'm actually going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take a picture, I'm going to develop it, and I'm going to send it to you. It's so good. It's so good. But we have no problem with that today, right? We're, we're on there. Eggs, bacon, you know, cup of coffee. And if you're a hipster, what are you doing? You're taking a picture of it, and you're putting a filter on it, and you're saying, you know, hashtag delicious. To hundreds of our friends. Listen, I have no problem with social media. I like social media. Uh, I like the fact that I woke up this morning and looked on, and like 30 of you let me know there was an earthquake last night. Thank you. Thank you. I was wondering what that was. I thought, I thought God was tapping his toe from our worship night, and things just got crazy. I didn't know. It was an earthquake. I like, whew, I like social media. I use Facebook. I, I use Twitter. Um, Instagram can be a great way to connect with people. I like social media. But, but wouldn't you say that social media is changing the way we define friendship? We've traded a handful of authentic friendships for, uh, for um, Facebook fans and friends and likes and comments. We're becoming increasingly concerned with, with how we look on social media and less concerned with how we actually are with people. Here's what it looks like. We, we, 
you know, I wish I, might, I didn't even bring my phone up here. How sad. I'm doing an example. I always leave my phone down there so it doesn't ring, but this would be the perfect time. But don't we pull out our phone or we pull out our iPad, you know, and we like take a picture of ourselves, you know, click it, we look at it. No, I don't really like the way that looks. Okay, different angle, get the light just right, you know. Yeah, yeah. And we, we put a filter on it, you know, change it. We, we write a little thing like, getting my preach on. No, that seems a little arrogant. I'm going to erase that, you know. Serving the Lord. Hashtag New Life Petaluma. That's good. That's good. And then we post it, and then we wait. Seven likes in ten minutes. Yes! Yes! That is a good picture. I feel good about myself. My friends love me. Oh, so good to have friends. And what's the result? We've got more likes and fans than ever before. But we're craving actual friendships. I don't know about you, but I'm realizing this in my life. The more friends I get on Facebook, the bigger our our church gets, the more I crave, I crave honest, open, authentic, I can just be Kevin friendships. I want to have friendships like Solomon talks about in Proverbs 17 when he says this, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. And I just want you to think about this. What would it feel like to have two, four, five, six, seven, ten friends who loved you no matter what? Who were in it for the long haul. Not a year, two or three, but a decade, two decades, three decades. What would that, what would that be like? Imagine a friend who loved you so much that, that they would rush to your house to sit with you when times got tough. When everyone else was, was running away, when the world seemed to be crumbling, when, when people turned their back, imagine having a friend that ran right into it and just sat down with you and said, let me, let me just be here with you. I'm not going to lecture you or preach at you. I just want to be here with you. I'll, I'll pray for you. I'll hang out with you. Imagine having a friend that loved you so much that they didn't get jealous when you succeeded, but they were actually happy for you in your success because in friendship, your success is in part their success. Because if you show me your friends, I can show you your future. Imagine a friend who loves you enough that they would tell you the truth when you're about to become an idiot. Imagine. Not a friend who, who just said, I told you so afterwards, but actually walked with you in and said, man, I love you too much to let you walk down that path. Look what that path's going to do to you. Imagine having a friend like that, not just for a year or two years or three years, but, but for decades, for decades. My buddy Eris sent me a video, and I want to show it to you. It's about friends who have been friends for decades, and it inspired me. It's two guys, uh, but I think it can translate for all of us. So take a look at the video screen. Here's the cool thing. Is I have always wanted to do some epic trip in the Australian outback. You know, just something in Australia, through Africa. And this is what the this is what this Land Cruiser was made for. My dad and Craig have been friends for more than 30 years. They met when they were in their 20s, young guys like us out looking for adventure backpacking, fly fishing, mission trips. They saw each other get married, have kids, land their first real jobs. I really hope I have this when I'm their age. They've built something over time that I think is really good. 
I think for guys in my generation, this is going to take intention. We drift too easily. We don't hang on to things. Trevor, what's your worst fear as a man? I think it's being 55 and not having a good group of friends. Because I've seen too many people that are older that seem to not have any friends, any companionship. I think guys don't know how to do friendship. When we get together, we typically just drink beers or watch the game. You need someone you can share life with, talk about real things. Yeah, I mean, I, I got a 12-month lease that's way more than I've ever spent on anything. Yeah. I'm paying my wife student loans. I, it's like, it's such a scary thing. It's all just happened in six months. The thing that I've appreciated about you and appreciated about our friendship is that we, at least historically, have been the kind of people to have that sort of a conversation. I don't feel like we're the kind of people to let each other just kind of show up at a conference and you're in your 40s and you kind of wonder how you let what it happen happened. without really thinking yeah. about it yet. Having 600 friends online isn't the same thing. It might seem like a lot is going on, but you don't actually see anyone for weeks. It's a false sense of connection. That's part of the reason we took this trip, to be intentional, to be together. Watching the game might be a good place to start, but you've got to take it deeper. I fell too, Naz, don't worry. It seems like most men don't have friends, real friends. It's pretty tragic. It's too easy to isolate, and I don't do well in isolation. I need guys around me, guys who want what I want, who are chasing the real thing, pursuing their dreams, walking with God, and fighting for one another. My dad and Craig have fought for something beautiful together. It's been a special relationship for me, and um, I, I thank Sam, um, choosing both of us to pursue one another. It took uh, a lot of persistence, particularly with your dad pursuing me. And I think it takes commitment and tenacity. And uh, it's been good. I don't know if we knew the value of it until decades into it. 30 years from now, I hope I have what they have. Cheers. You're in the, you're Cheers. In the, you're in the desert. I'm in the desert. With a horse with no name. In the desert? <laughs> where no one knows you your You can't name. remember your name. Oh, I can't remember my name. <laughs> no, that's just you all the time. <laughs> I think I just found out what our next Facebook excitement is going to be about after this great message. Was that beer they were drinking? I think it was, like, fake beer. So don't worry. You don't have to, like... I fake some bubblegum cigars. So just relax. Relax. That, that's the kind of friendship that God wants for you. That's the kind of friendship that God wants for me. He wants us to have friends that, that walk through life with us. And the truth is, he wants that for us because he loves us and he knows. He knows how much better life is with friends. 
He just knows that about us. So in this series, we're going to dig in. We're going we're gonna to try to, we're going to mine to the depths of friendships. I'm, I'm slowing down. I'm trying to really jump into it. Why did God create us this way? What is it that he desires for us? What is it that keeps us from, from really wanting these? Next week, I'm going to talk about, we know this is good, but why do, we, why do we seem to pull away from actual close friendships? And you know how I'm going to do that? Um, I've been digging into this journey for about five months now, just really asking the Lord what he has to say to me in it. And I'm basically going to take one of my, uh, my journal entries where I talked about all the reasons and all the excuses I have and all the, all the things that have happened in my past that keep me from wanting to have real friendships. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bring them out for us because I don't think we're so different, me and you, in the things that keep us from really wanting deep friendships. So we're going to get to the root of it and then we're going to start to build. What would it look like to be that kind of friend? What would it look like to have that kind of friend? What, what could that do? What could that do in my life? We're going to dream. We're going to hope. We're going to plan because God— God has some really exciting stuff for us. I believe, I believe that God created friends to be profoundly impactful in our lives. I believe that the right group of friends could be the catalyst that God uses to slingshot you forward in almost every area of your life. And I think that's what God wants to do in us in this next month and a half as we journey through this series. And here's why God wants to do it. God wants to do it because he loves us. It always comes back to that, doesn't it? God wants to do this because he he has hopes and dreams and plans for us because he loves us so deeply. That's, that's why we celebrate communion every week, because we need to remember the depths of God's love, that everything God says flows out of God's great love for us. And if you're here today and you've never experienced God's great love, I want to tell you it's for you, and it's, it's, it's here. He's, he's paid the price uh, to draw you to himself because he loves you. When Jesus left heaven and came to earth and gave his life on the cross, he, he bridged the gap that kept us from our loving creator. And open the door for us to have a relationship with him. And I'm going to pray in just a second. And I don't have a ton of application points for us today. I know usually I say there's like, uh, you know, three things to put into practice. Here's the only thing I want us to do as we leave here today and, and go about our week. I want us to just think about friendships. Just think about friendships. What would it look like to have them? Do I have them? What do mine look like? Am I walking with the wise and becoming wise? Or if I'm totally honest, am I walking, am I walking with idiots? Am I becoming an idiot? What would it look like? But I think for most of us, the question is probably this. Do I actually have this type of deep friendship? And if I don't, God, open me up to it. Open me up to it. And if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, I'm going to give you a chance to become a follower of Christ today, to say yes to him and commit your life to him because it is the single greatest decision you could ever make. All this other stuff that God has for your life, the hopes, the dreams, the plans, they, they come out of God's great love that, that calls us to himself through Jesus. And so if you're ready to make that decision, we're going to pray right now and I'm going to give you a chance to do that. But first, I want to pray for all of us as we start this journey together. So would you close your eyes? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you love, you love us so deeply and so faithfully and so fully that you want only good things for our lives. And that, that friendship is part of your design and your plan and your intention to enhance the flavor of our lives, to, to slingshot us forward, to, to help us realize our dreams, to help us experience all that you created us to experience. Lord, would you help us to begin to have a mind shift, to rethink the way we've always thought about relationships and friendships? And would you help us to see that, that people— people in our lives could be the greatest catalyst in shaping the impact and trajectory of, of our future, of our family, of our hopes and dreams and visions. Lord, would you, be, would you be guiding us in this? Would you keep us open to you throughout this series? We're so excited to start this new journey with you as we head into the fall. 
And as we continue to pray, if you're here this morning and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, I want to tell you all this other stuff is just secondary because of God's great love. And so I want to give you a chance to do that today, to simply say yes to him and to start this journey. He will be um, a closer, deeper, more personal friend and savior than any other friend we could ever have. And all these other friends are simply, they're mirrors. They're mirrors of the friendship and love that God has for you. So if you're ready to say yes to him, you can repeat this prayer. You can either whisper it right where you're sitting, or you can say it in your head. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you left heaven and came to earth, that you gave your life on the cross for me. I believe that you love me, and I believe that you want to have a relationship with me. Today I say yes. Yes, I want this life that you're offering. But even more than that, Lord, I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Lord, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day forward into eternity? And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.